The mantra is clear for most small business operators. We can't find people to work because of government subsidies, and it's hurting their recovery. But how true does that ring? Hello, and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. It's a sight seen in many places across the country as lockdowns were eased and restrictions lifted. Small businesses were delighted to resume operation. The only problem was finding people to work. Now, when the pandemic arrived and Canada was shut down, the government filled the financial breach with the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. For all those run out of work due to COVID, they were able to collect $500 a week to make ends meet. It was a quick response to a dire need for many at no fault of their own. Now, the government has moved the CERB to employment insurance for those still unable to find work. The Canada Recovery Benefit benefit followed for those still jobless or making 50% less than they were. But in the case of the recovery benefit, the payout was reduced to $300 a week. The issue with that is it runs out later this month. Our unpublished.vote question asks, do you feel now is the time for the federal government to wind down the Canada recovery benefit? Yes, no, or unsure. You can log on right now and vote at unpublished.vote and have your voice heard. Coming up on the Unpublished Cafe, Jennifer Robson is an associate professor in political management at Carleton University, and she'll join us to discuss some misinformation about what's available. First, I'm pleased to be joined by Dan Kelly, president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And Dan, is your membership faring any better as some of these restrictions are lifted? Sure, there's been a slight tick up in, in sales, uh, but still, if you can imagine, only 19 months into the pandemic, only 75% of businesses, small businesses are fully open. Only half of them are at full levels of staffing. And most worrisome of all, only 40% of small firms right across Canada are at normal levels of sales. 60% of them are below water. Many of them uh, that are open right now are losing money every single day that they remain open. Quite often we hear employers say they can't find people to work, but can it all be blamed on CERB and the recovery benefit? No, not at all. Look, there we had a shortage of labor that was growing prior to the pandemic. Um, and then, of course, uh, we didn't really have a big shortage of workers during the, pan during the worst of the lockdown phase because many, many sectors were entirely or largely locked down and, and had no need for workers at that moment. But as we've as we've reopened businesses, many are struggling to get their teams back together. They're recalling workers that they had pre-pandemic to find that either they have moved on to other types of jobs, uh, that they're not willing to come back because they are afraid of COVID. And men, but, but there is a, a sizable number that of, of workers that are former workers that are telling their employer, you know what, when else am I going to be able to take a break uh, and, and, and be paid to stay at home? Uh, this was certainly true over the two summers that we've had during COVID, uh, when there was an opening up in the summer of 2020, and then another reopening in the summer of 2021. Um, people just saying, look, I want the summer off, and so call me back in September or October. The real challenge for our members is part-time worker availability. Hmm. I'm not sure that, and CERB is only a portion of that. There are some workers, of course, in the hospitality industry who have said, gosh, you've you've hired me, laid me off, hired me, laid me off, hired me, laid me off because of lockdowns. I want a different industry altogether. I'm out. Uh, and, and that is a reality. But so true is the fact that there are business, there are employees who have said 300 bucks a week. I was making basically that by working, you know, 10, 15 hours a week prior to the pandemic. 
I can make that and stay at home. So I'm going to do that. In, in terms of uh, the recovery benefits, though, I'm, I'm wondering, is it for just part time? Is it for part time people as well? I thought this was mainly a full time employment thing. No, not at all. You uh, you could have worked uh, to collect the the CERB originally, and now the CRB stream under EI. You could have worked as little as five hours a week. Wow, that is. Uh, so, so this is the thing that the, yeah. the challenge is that the to to be eligible, you only had to work. I think it was 110 hours in the past year to be able to collect $300 a week going forward. That's, that's, I mean, and this is one of the reasons why we're so concerned about some of these policies becoming permanent is that, that there has been many that have called for the number of hours required to collect EI benefits, regular EI benefits to be reduced significantly. Our worry is that if you reduce it too, too significantly, that it does encourage people to, to stay home rather than go back to work. And I think it is hard for people who are naturally hardworking, naturally attached to the labor force to, to understand, I think we all know somebody like this, but there are Canadians that will do just about anything not to work. Um, and if we make that too comfortable, too easy for them, uh, that will contribute to a shortage of labor and paying benefits to people that perhaps need that nudge back into the workforce. It's not everybody, certainly, but there's enough of them that it that it is certainly for part-time workers causing a problem. Underserved, for example, there was over $600 million paid out to 15-year-olds. Uh, that's not what the program was intended no. to do. And I get that governments needed to do something hasty and that we're going to make some mistakes along the way. But by making it available to part-time to very, very part-time workers, we have in fact overcompensated many. Who are making more on the on the support programs than they were while working? That just shouldn't be allowed. The pandemic has exposed some cracks in, in the employment system, and are, are your yeah. members looking inward to find some solutions to that and to getting more workers back to you know back to work? For sure, business owners are pulling every every single lever possible to try to get back their workforce because they desperately need people. Uh, look, look, if you've been locked down, uh, you know, I have restaurant members in Toronto, gyms as well, that were locked down for 400 days during the during the pandemic. Now they're open again. They're desperate to try to bring back customers, but they're not able to serve them. And that's just as devastating if you're not able to actually be able to make money because you don't have the staff to be able to serve your potential customers. So businesses are trying to improve wages where that where they're able to do that, where they're able to afford that. Uh, they're trying to improve working conditions in many instances and, and create some benefit programs to try to support staff. They're trying to provide more work flexibility than ever, ever before. Where possible, allow working from home. There's all sorts of creative things that employers are trying to do to get people to work in their businesses. But I can, I can tell you one of the obstacles is the fact that we have a compensation stream under the CRB that that can compensate them at levels that the employer is just not able to match, especially if you were working, say, 10 hours a week prior to the pandemic. Mm. You know, I, you brought up the restaurant industry and like I can't imagine anybody in the restaurant industry being very happy right now, in particular with provincial governments. When you look at the fact that, you know, they're still under restrictions and limited seating, et cetera. And, and here we have, you know, 18,500 at Scotiabank Place here in Ottawa to watch the, the Leafs and the Senators last night. Um, I, I, I can see why they'd be upset. Uh, have you heard from the province on why such a such a decision? 
Oh, gosh, there have been all sorts of stupid COVID rules, uh, many necessary, but but many, many just really idiotic rules that the provinces have used, particularly the province of Ontario. Ontario has, for most of the pandemic, had insane policies like allowing Walmart and Costco to sell whatever they want for most of the pandemic, and then shutting down the tiny retailer with three customers a day, they're not allowed to open even for a single minute. Uh, now we've got the scenario where 10, 20,000 people can gather in an arena. I watched a segment of the Maple Leafs game and I'd say about 10% of people were even wearing masks while sitting side by each. That's allowed, but the bowling alley that serves a group of kids is required to only serve 50% of their former volume, even though they've got loads of room for physical distancing. These are some of the stupid policies that the Ford government has used, to, and they've been just punishing small and medium-sized businesses along the way. And no explanation, I mean, some lame explanations that, that, that nobody believes uh, to justify both the retail rules that they used in 2020 and then these new service-oriented business rules, uh, capacity rules that they're using in 2021. Dan, I want to thank you for joining us. Anytime at all. Dan Kelly is the president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Canada's unemployment rate was down last month by two basis points to 6.9%. And according to the federal government, employment has returned to pre-pandemic levels, which begs the question, why the gnashing of teeth by employers? Jennifer Robson's an associate professor of political management at Carleton University, and she joins us now. And Jennifer, if employment is back to where it was before COVID, why the trouble hiring? Or were small business dealing with uh, a shortage of employment before it became more exposed? Uh, great questions. Uh, let's see. So there are still uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of about a million Canadians who are unemployed. Uh, so while the overall unemployment rate is down significantly, this is all good news. Um, there are also a number of Canadians who have exited the workforce and maybe others who have postponed uh, their entry into the workforce. Um, another thing that's happening, obviously, is an awful lot of churn in the labor market. So, for example, take the restaurant sector. This is one sector that has received an awful lot of attention in terms of having difficulty hiring and retaining staff right now. Um, relative to pre-pandemic times, it's pretty clear a number of uh, staff who were working in that industry uh, have moved on. So they, uh, you know, perhaps over the last 18 months have found it very difficult to have the unpredictability of when they would and would not be able to work. Uh, no doubt, uh, some of the remaining uh, health, public health measures that are so important for keeping us safe still create uh, some uncertainty and limitations in terms of uh, reliability of shifts. Not to mention, I'm sure it's a difficult time right now to be having to deal with customers on frontline jobs. Uh, so, you know, no doubt there are an awful lot of people who are saying uh, this is an opportunity for me to think about what is next. I realize that for those employers who are looking for staff, uh, this creates some new challenges. But, uh, you know, there's a there's a sorting process that is taking place right now in the labor market. You feel there's some misunderstandings in the public about what what's available for employers. What 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 are some of those misunderstandings? 
Yeah, I guess, uh, so I hear an awful lot of folks referring in shorthand to CERB or the Canada Emergency Response mm -hmm. Benefit. Uh, and, you know, should it be uh, should it be extended? Should it not be that kind of thing? And, and look, uh, there are currently still some residual benefits for both employers as well as individual workers. But CERB itself, you know, that big, massive mm -hmm. program, $82 billion, um, it's long gone. It's actually been gone since last year. So employment insurance is back up and running for those workers who qualify. Uh, in addition to that, we have the Canada Response Benefit and a series of other um, temporary benefits in place for people who don't qualify for EI. Um, and I realize that there's some concern about whether or not those ought to be extended or whether they're having a disincentive effect on workers. I do find it interesting, though, that the same employers who are having a hard time, saying that they're having a hard time hiring, um, have not necessarily done much in terms of boosting their wage levels. And they're also very keen, obviously, on ensuring that their direct benefits in the form of rent subsidies, wage subsidies, and now a hiring program um, are extended before the individual help to, uh, to individual workers. I just want to say one thing about those, about those benefits for workers, which is that um, the recovery benefit, which is, I think, the one that people sort of confuse with being that same behemoth that was in place at the start of the pandemic, um, there's still about 675,000 people who were 670,000 who got it in the most recent period. Um, we know that an awful lot of people in Canada have been unemployed for six months or more, 12 months or more. There are really good questions to ask about whether or not um, continuing to have a cash benefit is the best way to support people. I haven't heard nearly enough conversation about the importance of job training, employment services, those kinds of things in terms of helping people reconnect to the labor market. The, the uh, recovery benefit is is to end before the end of the month. Do, do you expect that's going to happen or do you expect an extension? Uh, great question. Look, uh, this is where I also want to delink the recovery benefit from those other like the sickness and the caregiving benefits, because, you know, the sickness and the caregiving benefits, I think, are meant to be more for supporting people who are going to have temporary income interruptions because they have to stay at home, maybe with a, a kid who has to isolate from school or they themselves have to go and get tested and wait for results. We're still living in a pandemic, right? It's not quite over. The recovery benefit has a slightly different logic. Um, look, I, I checked the system this morning. I don't know if this is indicative or not, but the government um, is is uh, shutting down the application portal for those benefits as of 11 p.m. tonight, and it won't be open again until Monday for system maintenance. Now, I don't know if I should read into the tea leaves that that means an extension is coming. The government does have the regulatory power to extend benefits from the uh, uh, from October 23rd through to November. So maybe they're going to go ahead and do that. Beyond November, I really don't have a clear uh, through line on that. But like I said, regardless of what they do in terms of the expansion or the extension of those benefits, uh, we really need to be doing a better job of connecting unemployed workers up to the services that are going to help them find work again. How much of the uh, rhetoric that we're hearing about the uh, employment is is political? How much of the rhetoric that we're hearing? I guess it depends on it. I mean, look, all rhetoric is political, kind of by definition, yeah. right? You know, yeah. uh, the data is the data. But the story that you decide to tell about the data is obviously going to be shaped by your priors, right? And the, the parts of the data that you want to pay most attention to. I, I realize, look, even amongst economists, there's sort of, you know, a, a glass half empty and a glass half full camp. Um, it's a messy story out there and I get it. There's enough, there's enough going on that there's sort of a narrative for everybody who has a, who has a particular view. Um, there are real problems though, right? Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And there are real individual workers and families who've been deeply impacted by this last year and a half. Um, and they're going to need some supports. What we ought to be thinking about is not uh, just purely, you know, sort of a, there's a magic bullet somehow. We need to be thinking about what's the right mix of supports. I really don't want to see a situation, though, where people end up um, being basically permanently scarred, falling through the crap, uh, falling through the cracks, as it were, um, and never really able to rebuild. Um, that would be a loss to all of us. You know, there there is a divide out there, and I, I'm wondering: Do you think it might be driven by? You know, when we go back to the beginning of the pandemic, there were those who were deemed essential service, and then obviously those who weren't. Do you think that might add a bit of an impact on that? You mean in terms of a perception of whose work yeah. is valued and not? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think actually one thing that changed was that at the beginning of the pandemic, so many people were directly impacted. And you had a situation where I think of, uh, at one point, somewhere in the neighborhood of 9 million Canadians, maybe eight, something, it's eight, nine million Canadians had ever taken at least one CERB payment, right? Which is kind of remarkable when you think about, you know, a country our size and the labor market of about 20, 21 million people. Uh, to have that many people actually all using the same program. I think it cha- it temporarily changed people's perceptions about the importance of government and the role that government can play in terms of stabilizing people's lives uh, when they've had that kind of shock. As time has gone on, and some people have had an easier time returning to the labor market, regaining lost hours, uh, you know, changing jobs as the case may be, um, I think that's where we're starting to see a bit more of a divide in terms of people's impatience, perhaps, right? Mm. And we all are human beings, and we can um, we can fall into that sticky spot of thinking that what has worked for us or what has been good for us is the right thing for all of our fellow citizens and neighbors um, in the community. And the fact of the matter is. Um, I don't know enough about what's going on with those million uh, unemployed people uh, and the people who are still on CRB. We don't have enough data to make sense of all of this. Um, I think I, I think it's uh, it's it's kind of dangerous to tell ourselves overly simplified stories. I wonder if it might be a better way to you know when we look at this recovery benefit if a better way to approach it would be to more in a regional, uh, a regional, I guess, approach as opposed to a blanket approach across the country. And the reason I say that is we look at some provinces and areas where things are opening up and, and they don't have that, infe- uh, you know, the, the infection rate rising and stuff. So, you know, things are easing up And meanwhile, you look at Alberta and Northern BC, and it's a bit of a basket case there. So obviously you want that shut down. Do you think that would have been a, maybe a better way to do this? So, um, the difficulty with that is that at least when it comes to the CRB, like you can you can actually kind of do things like that a little bit within the employment insurance system mm-hmm. because for I mean it's many faults it's it's overly complicated but it has like it has divided Canada up into sixty different regions sixty plus different regions so you can kind of you know tweak stuff and say we're going to set the parameters so that these kinds of regions get it these don't. The way that the Canada Revenue Benefit, sorry, the Canada Revenue Agency has been running these benefits is uh, pretty simple, right? It's a lot of attestation. So, how do you make sure to verify where somebody is? I, I take the point fully that um, the situation right now in places like Northern BC, Saskatchewan, Alberta, uh, both in terms of the public health parameters as well as the impacts on the economy, are very different. Um, and you know, this is a reminder: like public health is the way that we get back to the 
you know, uh, the full reopening of the economy. Um, that said, I, you know, one possibility is you download it onto the provinces. Um, they do not have the administrative capabilities to run these kinds of programs. We don't want to download this in terms of pushing people onto provincial social assistance. That's a dead end, right? When I said before, but I'm really worried about people being permanently impacted and not being able to participate and rebuild. Uh, that's the kind of thing I'm worried about. So I think the government is a bit stuck. Like you can't have a national program that isn't actually national. I yeah. suppose there's maybe a way to try and say, you know, by postal code or whatever, if you're in an impacted region, then you qualify. But you know, the more parameters that we try and place around this, the more complex the implementation, uh, the more costly it's going to be to administer. Um, yeah. You know, there's been a lot of debate around, you know, this question about ending the, the benefits and the lack of employment. Uh, it's elevated the question about guaranteed annual income. And, and do you think it might gain more traction? People might take, you know, want to kick the tires a bit more? Uh, so... Uh, we've had at least, uh, you know, one province do a, a really major study that wrapped up just at the start of the pandemic. I had the honor of being um, part of the broader research group that was informing that. Um, the government of Nunavut is likewise taking a look at the feasibility here. Um, I think basic income is one of those topics that uh, it's almost a bit perennial, right, in terms of social policy conversations in Canada. It sort of comes back periodically. The appeal of basic income in terms of simplicity, speed, dignity for the people who are making use of it, I completely get, I completely understand. CERB, you know, that big behemoth program um, was really not designed to be a model for a basic income. It just doesn't have the same kinds of features that we might want a basic income to have. It's possible you know, that uh, building on the work that was done in BC and that is now underway in Nunavut, that other jurisdictions will be interested um, in this concept. Um, but this is really complicated stuff to actually try and work out in a feasible way that you can actually implement. Jennifer, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Jennifer Robson is an associate professor of political management at Carleton University. Our unpublished.vote question asks you, do you feel now is the time for the federal government to wind down the Canada recovery benefit? Yes, no, or unsure? You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. I want to thank our guest today, Dan Kelly of the CFIB and Jennifer Robson of Carleton University. And I want to thank you for watching the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.